Should we use the term worship leader? Are we performing or are we worshiping? Can worship and performance coexist? You're going to love today's episode. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey guys, welcome to Making Sunday Happen. This is the definitive podcast for those who plan, create, and execute worship experiences at churches all over the world. We're talking with industry leaders. We talk with pastors, worship leaders, communications strategists, artists, and more to give you ideas, creativity, and training on how to reach people in your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. On today's episode, I welcome Elias Dummer. He led the band The City Harmonic for years. Absolutely no stranger to ministry, music, and the stage. I'm talking with Elias about the term worship leader. We'll also talk about worship versus performance and more. We'll dive right in with Elias right after this. Hey guys, I'm hanging out with my friend Steve Dirks. At 1230, we do ready-made, we do custom media content, we do training, uh, and our team is incredible. Uh, We just have a heart to serve uh, ministry and churches. And Steve, I just wanted to talk to you for for just a minute and just kind of get your heart on why you serve churches through 1230. What's your heart behind uh, why and, and how you serve them? Yeah, so my heart for serving at 1230 is I was on a church staff for many years and had a never-ending list of stuff to always complete. And what always took a backside was caring for my team and doing the stuff that would potentially cause the most fruit within my church sphere. And so for me, I have a heart of really coming alongside churches and helping you guys do worship well, but not having to give up doing something that maybe is more practical for you to be doing on the ground at your church. And so one thing that was, you know, hugely beneficial and that has been beneficial for a lot of churches is outsourcing lyric videos, outsourcing bumper videos, content like that, that takes a lot of time just sitting at a computer doing that you maybe don't need to be doing where you could work with someone like me and our team. Uh, And so I love coming alongside guys like you at your church, figuring out what do you want to create? How do you want to create it? You get to lay out exactly what the parameters are, what's the ball that we're going to play in, so to speak. You can lay out the football field and then I get to take that to our team and have us create something that matches what you are looking for exactly what you need and hopefully save you time and stress at the same time so that's what i love doing that's what i love that i get to do here at 12 30 and if we can ever do that reach out to us and i will look forward to meeting you and your church yeah guys and i want you to see that i want you to see that we're, we're not some big company that's way off you know, somewhere we're real people. We're real, real ministry folks that uh, most of us, all of us came from church world, ministry world. Uh, we have a, a huge heart, like Steve was saying, to, to serve you and serve churches. Uh, and if we can do that, if we can help you with custom, especially, uh, which uh, Steve is is the man that, that really connects you with our team in getting your custom projects in the works and done, uh, feel free to reach out to us, 1230 dot media slash quote 1230 dot media slash quote will get you started 
Hey guys, today I welcome Elias Dummer. Elias was the front man for the award-winning band, The City Harmonic. He has traveled the world leading songs of worship in churches and with Christians of almost every tradition. He's been a writer for the Huffington Post, Worship Leader Magazine, churchleaders.com, and more. His new album, The Work, Volume 2, is available now. Elias, welcome, man. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, thanks for having me, Carl. All the way from Canada, eh? It's true. Yeah. Uh, newly, but newly returned, I guess, the prodigal son or something. Nice, man. So you were saying that you moved three or four weeks ago. Man, I hate moving. It's the worst. Dude, and we got a fixer upper too. So I don't know if you can tell, but this setting is not my, uh, it's just an old room that I've stuffed all of my studio gear into. And while we build, it's been intense. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for setting up a little, little, little space. Do you, do you, are you writing and recording at all? Uh, at, yet, at the or? moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> just just unpacking boxes. Yeah, pure drywall. Just trying to find the shampoo. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Awesome. Well, man, give me a little bit of your journey. The last few years, you were with City Harmonic, and now you've kind of moved into a solo artist, right? Yeah. So um, City Harmonic's ending was a little unusual in that we ended very well and very amicably, and it was somewhat intentional. Uh, we sort of decided there's a parallel to certain sitcoms uh, that originate in Britain where they do a great three seasons or two seasons in Britain. And then they make it to American network TV and they run nine seasons of which three were great. And, <laughs> and, and, and I kind of, we kind of got to the point with city harmonic where Eric had had cancer and he'd left and uh, he'd had to stop traveling. And the rest of us were sort of like, hey, we think of ourselves as like a, a real band in a sense. We had a very unique story, very particular story, and we didn't want to do things just because we could. Hmm. So we sort of said, you know what, let's end intentionally. Let's end as intentionally as we started and close the book ourselves rather than slowly fade off into the, the sunset. So we did. And right. so we, we did the Benediction Tour. And it was actually uh, Josh and the band was really encouraging me to pursue doing this on my own. And so I did, I turned around, made the first record. And then shortly after the first record, of course, it came out in late 2019. So we know what was just around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, COVID happened, of course, and the idea of touring on the back of that first record evaporated overnight. Yeah. And I, you know, had already started, I'd already started work on volume two uh, already then, even in 2019, sensing that it was going to be a uh, bittersweet album that there was sort of this tension between hope and lament that I wanted to kind of characterize and, and even confession that I wanted to characterize the whole thing. Um, I had already having been in the quote unquote industry a long time, having planted churches and been involved in churches, I'd already had all kinds of thoughts going on about, Hey, how how are how is what we're doing working against us rather than for us in some ways and how can we do this better and so those were already kind of looming in my mind when we started writing for this record um and then covid of course just made the recording process really unique and long um and meant that Brent Milligan who is my co-producer uh, and I uh worked on it for a really long time and then I'm I'm super, super pleased with how it turned out. So the work volume two is sort of this weird mix of some thoughts that I'd had coming into the COVID and the pandemic scenario uh, and some things that, of course, evolved during that time. And uh, so I'm really, really proud of it. So will you get to tour 
yeah, coming out right. of this and you'll get to do songs from volume one and two that nobody's really heard. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I barely played anything on volume one and, and I'm still, I mean, I, I wrote, I, most of the city harmonic catalog was written at least predominantly by me, or at least, you know, I was very, very, very involved in every song. So um, I've continued to play certain favorites of mine from city harmonic as well. So yeah, all of the above. So tell me how some of the, the songs came about. Tell me some of the, some of your favorites. Yeah. So uh, Brent Milligan and I got to be friends through a Facebook group of all things, um, a worship leaders, I think it was worship leaders plus or something. And uh, we started chatting and he wanted to have this writer's retreat. And so a bunch of us got together at his place um, in Florida and uh, that, you know, we just started writing and, and a few of the songs on this record actually came from that retreat. Um, songs with uh, Landa Color and Tim Timmons and Steve Fee. And I wrote a song that I did eventually with JJ Heller. Um, and so there was just kind of a lot of that. But uh, one of the songs which really um, strikes me as poignant and timely was one that I wrote with uh, Zach Bolin of Citizens. Uh, we'd got to be friends. Uh, by this time, I think the pandemic is well underway. Um, and we had had similar experiences uh, with, let's just say, uh, leadership personalities. And uh, he, of course, having been at Mars Hill with Mark Driscoll. And, You're in a uh, safe place, my brother. Yeah. And, my, and myself in a, in a much smaller context where there's no podcast involved, there's no lights, there's no camera, but all of the same markers in terms of personality and borrowed authority and that sort of thing were present. Um, and so we connected kind of about, wow, we really have a similar experience, even though all of the external things people point to weren't, were totally unalike. Um, and so we wrote a song called Curie a Liaison about that. I'd had the idea kicking around forever, but we really wrote the song as this confession of, you know, a, a reminder, I guess, that, that the center of the Christian story and the center of the Christian mission or message is mercy, mercy for all of us. Now, is that complicated as people do bad things? Yes, it is. But nevertheless, I can't come to a question like this without realizing that if we hold people up on a pedestal, if we, I mean, here we are on a podcast talking about this, of course, but if we hold people up on a pedestal, if we treat people as if they have all of the answers right and they have every, then, then we lose some, they lose something of themselves and we lose something of their ability to be human in it. Um, and so we kind of wrote this song and it being COVID threw it out to crowdsource across the internet and got this choir from across the world. And so it's, <clears throat> it's a pretty neat song that bizarrely enough came out right on the heels of the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. Right. Um, so it was just not intentional at all, but you know, providential, I suppose. So uh, you you're talking about putting people on a pedestal. I want to dive into uh, some writing that you had a couple of years ago, and then we'll we'll come back to the album. Yeah. Uh, but one blog post that you wrote about is don't don't call me a worship leader. I don't I don't you know that that term. And you know I think that I, I did a, a podcast with uh, Grant Norsworthy, who was um, a, a Christian musician and and artist, and we were talking about the same thing that you know. This this idea of worship leader um, and almost a pedestal uh, kind of thing, and that worship is like I'm leading you in worship when worship should really be your lifestyle. It's really the songs, 
you know, so we were unpacking that. So un- unpack that a little bit for me from your perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually probably playing with it from a different angle than, say, Norsworthy or Matt Redman or that sort of thing. Because the truth is, I'm more than comfortable using the word worship leader. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, it's it's more the... Uh, I, I do look at it holistically in one sense that um, we have a tendency to assign... Uh, spiritual significance to an activity without necessarily assuming that it's what we're doing. So in other words, like Mm. when we, when we do, like I have, I would have no problem with being called the band leader, the music leader, whatever. Um, I do think that article was years ago now. So I do think now I'm looking at it. We do have a lot of people, a lot of church environments where the presentational aspects of music are happening, but it isn't necessarily being approached by the participants or the or the musicians involved as a practice of prayer. And I think that is a significant gap that we have to close. We have to say, Hey, look, if we're going to do this group singing thing, and I've gotten pretty geeky in the, in the uh, science side of that, if we're going to do this, this group singing thing, we need to approach it as a prayer practice. It is a meditative group practice and music helps us do that holistically heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. The, my concept of like what a worship leader is and is doing I'm I'm partly concerned about what I would call actually similar to a lot of the stuff in the Mark Driscoll podcast. I'm kind of concerned about what I what you'd call borrowed authority, where some of what is happening in a worship leader is simply the execution of skill. Some of what is happening is discernment in in a pastoral sense. And maybe that's the direction of the Holy Spirit at times. And other times it's noticing which is in and of itself a skill on some level. You're there for the guy at the back of the room, not the lady at the front with the tambourine. And so there's, there's kind of this sense in which worship leading is a lot more of a human practice than we've wanted it to be because we benefit from an ego level from allowing that that being on that stage and allowing that distinction to be there. However, some of that is practical. I know there were efforts where, you know, I think of Gunger in particular, where they had like a a, a canvas cloth or this kind right. of yeah, They're turn it around and do it. The, the, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think of the answer to our woes as dehumanizing worship. I think of worship as a fundamentally human practice. It's at the center of what it means to be human is to worship something, and so I just happen to believe that something is Jesus. So if we're coming together and we're saying, hey, we as a community are organizing ourselves around this thing, then face-to-face is okay and healthy. I I like it a lot. Um, So there's kind of this, I I feel like there's more of a tension in the way that the word is, is uh, understood and used, but I'm okay with it as a title. I think I lost that hill many years ago and and I don't much care for it. So define the term for me. What is worship? Well, okay. So there are, I think it's important to distinguish uh, worship as its broad use, as in for me as a person, and worship as what the activity of the church. Hmm. I think that's really fundamental. And that's where I would say, I would, if Grant were in the room, I'd push back on him in person too, because it's like, yes, of course, worship is a lifestyle, but, but Christianity does not exist in an individualistic vacuum. Right. So, it's okay to worship through song. Oh, which I think he would agree. He would yeah, totally course, agree with. Of course, he would agree. But but words mean multiple things in multiple contexts, and and right. I think 
perfectly okay for us to say that we're referring to worship in church as the sum of the church service. And that's actually really where the crux of my concern is, is that the entire liturgical experience of church is worship. And there is a musical prayer component, but there isn't a presentational component in the sermon and then a musical component. And that's it. And and, uh, in Protestantism, we miss a lot of that. There's a lot of robust, meditative, meaningful stuff that in the long run is deeply formative that we just either throw to the wayside or ignore. And I think, you know, using the word only to refer to music isn't helpful in that regard. You bring up a great point. Do you think that, and and our ministry is all about uh, helping you make Sunday happen, helping you craft yeah. Uh, plan and and execute the Sunday experience. Yeah. Do you think that we spend too much time on music? Uh, I think we spend, no, I don't know that we spend too much time on music. I, I think music, I mean, if you look at many, say, Greek Orthodox liturgies, right? Or even in many Catholic circles still, the cantor still drives a lot of liturgy. So, it is simply the case that sung worship and sung liturgy has been a component of Christian worship all along. And even as a songwriter, I actually think we spend too much time worrying about songs. Okay. Unpack that for me. What do you mean? Well, if, if what we're doing in now, I (laughs) shooting myself in the foot a little bit because songs is how the industry monetizes the church. Right. 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 So like the reality is though, if we think about it from a live performance standpoint, even if you're a huge fan of a band, you enjoy watching them play the song, but the main thing you take with you when you leave is the moment they made of the song. And I think it's also true in church. If this is a fluid consecutive practice of prayer, if our sung worship is an experiential community liturgy, right? If that's what it is, then thinking about it as I finished song A and then I started song B is about as unhelpful as it can get. It's where are we going? How did we get there? What was the point where in in this moment where the community gathered around this thing? And in certain charismatic circles that happens organically, or at least is expected to happen organically. Um, But I think in a lot of circles that aren't as charismatic, uh, we kind of just get through the songs and then that's that's the whole thing. And we never think, what is it in the song that is the prayer people need to be praying right now and then live in that thing? And that's when we start to cross the bridge from, I think, a presentational thing to a, a kind of a community prayer. Okay. Do you think, so a lot of, well, I, I'll, th- I'll just throw this out to you and see your opinion. Do you see men especially have trouble with, singing and engaging where they might be engaged with something else. For instance, a lot of our experiences are three songs, announcement, another song, the sermon, song at the end. So it's really 75% of it or more is either song or sermon. Uh, Do you think men especially would engage in different ways that maybe music is not, you know, the driving tool, I th- although extremely important. 
Well, uh, everybody loves music. So I think it's just a question of where it falls into the grand scheme of things. Neurologically, sure. group singing does things in the brain that almost no other activity does. And the one activity that definitely does this uh, is not for young ears. Um, the, the reality is that, you know, there's a lot to be said in the human experience for group song. So it's a cultural problem, not a gender problem, not a it's, <laughs> it's strictly a cultural problem. Um, now, within that, that is the culture that we're doing church in. So what do we do about it, right? There's a couple more problems with that. One, uh, I think the idea of singing has become the a thing that experts do. And so there is a tendency to watch the expert do what they do, um, which, which, you know, there's a lot of ways you could look at that or solve that. But I, but I actually think some of the problem is how we structure our expectations of participants in church. And I think there's a live performance coach called Tom Jackson who talks about this a lot. I think because of the layout of the service, we tend to ask too much of people at the wrong time. That's a good point. So, so I think men or women in general, but men in particular are, are probably, well, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to characterize it that way, but I think a lot of people are pretty concerned about what is it I'm supposed to be doing right now and why. Hmm. And there's a lot of transition experientially that needs to happen for someone to go from, I'm not a person who sings in the shower to I'm singing beside 120 people. Right. And that that's a big gap to fill if it's not a natural part of their lives. And I don't think worship leaders spend enough time and energy earning that. So you mentioned kind of uh, performance and you also threw out ego uh, earlier. How do you wrestle with that as a worship leader? Performance versus worship. Uh, and then also as a worship leader, how do I check my ego? So when it comes to the relationship between performance and worship, um, it seems to me that we've long had this kind of tension uh, as if everything presentational is bad. And in order to be authentic, it has to not be presentational. Meanwhile, we've built all of these skill sets to present better all right. of the time. So it, there's obviously a, a catch 22 or a tension there. Um, I think to some degree it has to do with, uh, I would say over spiritualizing a certain mode of what we might view as authenticity and, and, you know, essentially taking taking for granted an understanding that people are only being authentic when they are presenting their present emotional state. And, and in order to do that, it becomes performative, but almost we're tricking ourselves into an emotion. And so there's, there's this sort of weird dynamic with all of that, that I kind of just want to take the gas out of the bag and say, hey, now, Every human being has contextual versions of themselves, and that's normal. That's how humans socialize. Every human being has ways in which they uh, serve a group of people um, in, a, in a way that they're saying, hey, the guy at the back of the room, for this to be authentic to me, I mean, there's this famous singer. Uh, if I'm coming up to a song and it's a song that is very emotive, let's say, um, I can either just play the song or I can fake it, or I could say, what does it mean for me to become that thing in the moment? And what's... Mm -hmm. What, and what's really interesting is that that is a performance skill to say, hey, what moment in my life or my walk with God most resonates with the song we're about to sing so that I might lean into that and in leaning into that, be present and authentic to it. Um, but the reality is that is a performance that's happening. It's just yep. a, it's a skillful performance as opposed to a self-centered performance. It's an other-centered 
performance. Um, and, and interestingly, the word performance itself is church Latin. So it's not a word that we get from nowhere. It means to become thoroughly. So like in everything, there's a tendency when in repetition and habit and in the, the repeated doing of a good thing, we become more like that thing. So, yeah. you know, worship for to to an extent, Sunday morning might be date night in a way. And there's something gained by the performance of intentionally and being present to that practice together. So they can coexist, performance and worship do. I think, I, and I think they inevitably coexist. coexist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that the the gap between them is much more philosophical than the people pointing to that problem tend to want to admit. There's a there's a problem behind the problem that they don't want, that they don't see. And as soon as you point it out, the conversation changes. Good. I love your perspective on those on those two topics. Um, all right, let's jump back to the to the to your album a little bit. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned Brent uh, Milligan. Tell me a little bit about the writing collaborations between him and others for this project. Yeah, well, so Brent uh, co-produced the record, so he was focused more on kind of the music and, and engineering. Which people who don't know Brent is Stephen Curtis Chapman, it's, David Crowder Band, yeah. Colony House, Torin Wells, tons of stuff. Um, yeah, so Brent's a great, great guy with and a legend in reality in, in the industry. Um, so that was really, really fun to work with him. And he's become a really good friend. Uh, on, on the writing, I wrote with a lot of kind of, I, I've, I'm at a point probably where I have go-to people and and friendships I love. So Benji Cowart co-wrote, yep. co-wrote the song, uh, We're Here Because You're Here, which is people have really connected to. Um, and that song is really about Sunday morning in a sense. It's it's sort of saying, hey, look, there's if if we just do these things and God isn't in them, then they're empty things. Yeah. We can we can think about what that means. It's not to say that those things are bad or, or wrong. I, I love a good concert too. But in as much as we're calling it church, there's something to recognizing that God needs to be in it and we need to approach it as such. Um, so that that's really what that song is about. Um, and so Benji helped me move into my house when I moved to Nashville 10 years ago, we met years ago in Buffalo when he was on staff at a church. So we have this great history yeah. and so I'm, I'm mostly just writing with friends to tell you the truth. It's very selfish. So Benji, uh, I don't know him personally, but he writes with the guys at Seeds Family Worship, Jason oh, cool. Hauser and those guys. And so I don't know if you know of Seeds, but we do all of Seeds' uh, lyric videos and cool. and, uh, and and their projects. And for people who don't know, Benji also wrote the dad version of Rude. That's you right. Gotta, yeah. You got to YouTube that. Yeah, it that's, says a, that's a classic. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Uh, you talked about some of the the songs on the album. How can we how can we pick it up? How can we get it? Yeah. So the work volume two is everywhere. If you stream music, you can find it there. Uh, you can also get CDs and vinyl for a limited time, just a small order because, hey, it's 2022. Um, you can get those at my website, EliasDummer.com. And also uh, chord charts for every song on the record are there yeah. for email subscribers. Awesome, man. All right, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire before before we leave. Here we go. Number one, what is the number one mistake that that music or worship leaders make on stage on Sundays? Oh, wow. Uh, Can I make it a two-part? Yeah, sure. Okay. Volume one and volume two, you might say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I think we talked about the first part earlier, uh, asking too much too soon. I think, you know, when people are people are coming into their pew on Sunday, they are not a musician. They're not prepared. 
They did not have a prayer practice in the car while their five-year-old was screaming at them. They were just tying up booties on the way out the door, signing into a class and going pee. And then they've sat down in their chair. And so expecting them to be ready to go to the highest heavens or the most exuberant happy clappy jump, you know, my, my rule is don't open with your banger. It's like proposing on the first date. So that's, that's good. That's that's probably number one. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and number two is to operate in it, operate as if what you're doing, even if it's prayerful, uh, isn't a collaborative human experience. Look people in the eye, treat them like humans, be a human yourself on stage. And and I think you'll you'll find that people people's trust for you and what where you're trying to go together uh, is greatly increased. Good. Number two, what is your favorite song to worship to right now? Oh man, right now I I have a tendency to go old when I feel you know disconnected or when I feel unanchored and after the big move. So I've honestly just been sitting in the Psalter and singing stuff from the Psalter lately. Mm. Um, I, I really, really, really love. Uh, oh shoot, what's it called? Darn, I can't remember. Um, no, there's, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's just been a crazy season with the move and everything. So yeah. I'm kind of yeah. turning. You're, you're turning. in a, you're in move brain right now. Yeah, it, I'm on. so sorry. No, you're fine. All right. Uh, what is something that you wish you were better at? Oh, <laughs> everything. Um, no, I, I, so I, it's, it's been important to me to continue to be uh, understanding and empathetic and compassionate. Uh, but that's probably the area, even though I've been working on it for years and years and years, and it's probably the area that I, I most wish to continue growing in. All right. Last one. What characteristic do you most admire in another musician or song leader? Oh man. Uh, characteristic as a human or characteristic on stage? Sure. Either one. That those two things line up. Um, I think good, for good, me, yeah. there's there's a lot of people who are really, really talented and skilled who uh, seem to struggle to treat you like a person. And I... When you're off stage, you mean? Off stage, whatever context. I, I aspire to... Look, if I'm going to be a Christian anything, I, I sure should hope that I treat people with respect and dignity and and that i'm curious and interested in people even if i'm tired and i think there's you know i hope that that's true of me i hope yeah. to continue to be curious um and i i really respect when i mean that's what whenever you meet in in, in music land and you meet people who met another musician and they say that guy's the real deal that's, that's all they're ever they talking about that's all they're ever talking about yeah very good point all right, guys, the new album, The Work, Volume 2, is available now. Elias, man, thanks for the time. Thank you, sir. This is good fun. Hey, guys, Grant here from the 1230 team. I want to let you know about our library of books on our website. We have a list of ebooks that will provide you and your team with information and tools to help make Sunday happen at your church. We have our best selling production team handbook, resources on welcome scripts for online church the Church Online Guide, our Production Dictionary, and more. Check out our bookstore today at 1230.media slash books. That's 1230.media slash books. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. Hey guys, thanks for joining us this week. Next week on the show, I welcome Adam Mutalsib. 
You're going to love this guy. He is a former Muslim. He is now a church planter in Baltimore, Maryland. We're going to be talking about how the American church can be about flash, show, lights, camera, entertainment, all that at times, and how we need to rely on God's Word and the Holy Spirit to transform, that God's Word is enough. Powerful insight from a former Muslim coming from the Islamic Church and the power of Christ in his life. Really incredible story and great message for church planners, pastors, and all of us. That's next week. We'll go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com. Thank <laughs> you.